Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me on my left for today's special episode of TCCP is none other than Staffordshire and former Derbyshire all-rounder Nils Priestley. So Nils, first things first, mate, thank you very much for joining me here on the podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to finally get you on for a chat about all things county cricket. I mean, I've got to ask. How's your day been so far? Well, it's 10.26. I'm a typical uni student that's just finished his exams. No, I'm joking. I've um, just been mulling around the house with a cup of tea, waiting waiting to do this, to be fair. I was going to say the the honour, the luxury, the privilege of appearing on the County Cricket Podcast, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> yeah, I was ready and waiting, half seven, socks, shoes on, ready to go, just in anticipation. Oh, likewise. I'm glad that we both had the same morning routine, apart from <laughs> I got up at half six, personally speaking, you know, that, that high performance mentality, that mindset. Yeah, you anything know. pre-seven o'clock. It's the uni student in me. <laughs> same to be honest, yeah. But anyway, it's it's a lovely day to be recording a podcast as well. Heatwave here in England and Wales. The, the weather is absolutely fantastic. We did have some thunderstorms yesterday, but other than that, yeah, the weather has been quite pleasant, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. Well, we've discussed already pre this, apart from my travels down to Dorset yesterday with Staffordshire, where we stayed until four o'clock to not bowl a ball and then drive home another four hours. But, you know, it's what you do. And it was a good day to be around some fine men of Staffordshire (laughs) cricket. (laughs) What a fantastic description that is. Well, we'll probably discuss those fine men of Staffordshire as the podcast (laughs) progresses, because we will, of course, have to talk about a few performances from yourself in a shirt of the mighty Staffordshire County Cricket Club. But before we jump the gun, I suppose we have to travel all the way back to the origins of the Nils Priestley cricketing story. So where did your love of cricket first originate from? What were your first ever memories of cricket, either playing or watching this simply sensational game? Well, I think I started playing probably when I was three, four years old, Pre that, dad would have been throwing a ball at me and kicking a ball and doing stuff in a garden. But then we went to our, well, I say we, my brother went to the local cricket club where we lived, Lullington Park, and I didn't want to be on my own. So I was always playing two, he's three school years above me. So I was always playing three school years above me cricket just because I wanted to play with him. And then from there, it kicked on and then proper first cricketing memory would be 2005 ashes obviously i mean i was five but no yeah five i'd have been five i can remember my dad was there's a video of my dad i'm not sure which test match it is and there's a video of him leaning over the advertising hoardings and he always used to show this is me this is me this is my moment of fame and it's him throwing the ball off oh wow fair enough and Talking of your dad, I'm guessing he's had a massive impact, as of the entirety of your family, Nils, and you did mention that there might be the possibility of them tuning in to today's podcast. So if you want to, mate, do you want to just give them a shout out? Because it does seem quite clear that they've had quite the impact, haven't they? Well, they have, but not in a cricketing sense. I don't think my dad's played cricket much ever. So, all right, mum and dad, enjoy this, listening to this. <laughs> Hey, fair enough. Again, it's always important though, isn't it, to have had that that support in those early years yeah. because 
without your parents' support, who knows? You might not be here on the Counter Cricket Podcast. So, as I say, they've driven me quite a long way in their time. So, yeah, thank you, Matt. Fleur. <laughs> what a lovely, wholesome way to begin an episode of the podcast day, <laughs> and with a shout out to your parents, Nils. But you mentioned the 2005 Ashes, right? Before we get into some Ashes chat, because that is the cricketing elephant in the room, isn't it? Let's face it, 2023 is an Ashes year in both the men's yeah. and the women's formats, which is absolutely fantastic. It starts this week, the 16th of June at Edgbaston. But before we get on to our, maybe some predictions actually, for those series, 2005, it's a series which always comes up on this podcast. I, I can't even tell you how many times I've spoken about that iconic battle between England and Australia. So I've got to ask Nils, right, if you could go back in time to 2005, and relive one day from that immortal test series, which day would you select and why? Well, me as a five-year-old, I probably don't remember much, but or my first ever cricket bat and the, the, my brothers at the time were the... One of us had the Kevin Peterson, is it the Woodworm Flame? And one of us had the KP Tor- uh, the Flintoff Torch or vice versa. So we had two Woodworm bats. So it'd be probably go back and watch one of the Kevin Pearson whacking it everywhere, which helped as well. My dad worked for Red Bull, so which is he respond they sponsored KP as well. So just watching KP whack it, which is what I currently try and do a little bit as well. So going back and watching him whack. I think it was I remember him whacking Warren quite a lot, wasn't he? He took the fight to Warren. I don't know which test or what day, but going back and watching him in his prime would be I reckon a good watch. It's a good shout, I, I must say. And, and whenever someone mentions Kevin Peterson in the 2005 Ashes, I think of the final test at the Oval, where he did absolutely dispatch Warren, and in particular Brett Lee, taking on the Brett Lee short ball, which is not an easy thing to do whatsoever. And he's just dispatching no. him into the stands. I mean, what an incredibly talented cricketer Kevin Peterson was. And you mentioned those woodworm bats built right here in the West Midlands in Redditch, I believe. That's where the factory is. So a lovely tie-in to the local yeah. area as well. I'm not sure if they still make them in Redditch, but that is where the company originally a was from. Me, because... a, wo- a woodworm even still about? Do they still make cricket I think they do. I've seen a couple in the in the club circuit, unless they're old bats, <laughs> but again... There's a, there's a lad at, a lad at Loughborough. You can buy, obviously, bat stickers on eBay. He rolls around with the red one, the red woodworm, old school, with a green handle, and it's like, yeah, that's flair. You get behind it. I can definitely get behind that as well. They are lovely bats. Iconic, aren't they? Let's face it, for that series. Ian Bell had one as well. I loved it when Ian Bell added with the woodworm. I mean, that was just absolutely fantastic to see. But, yeah, what a series. I mean, we're still sat here 18 years later. It's scary to say 18 years later, to be completely honest. But the, the cultural impact of it is absolutely massive. And fingers crossed 2023 can have a similar impact because it's Pat Cummins and the Australians who have just won the World Test Championship versus Basball. Yeah. And Basball is a wonderful concept, right? I know not everybody likes it in terms of this slapdash. I, I love it. Full no, I love it. I, I love it as well. I've got to say, I really enjoy it. I've really enjoyed it so far, in particular looking at the results that it has processed yeah. for England. But I've got to ask Nils, right, in terms of this year's Ashes, what are your predictions? Do you think England can finally bring back that Ashes earn? I'd love to say yes, but a lot of it depends on the, the how the first Test match at Edgbaston goes. If we, if 
because if Basball fails, which it might, it might not. We haven't had a stern test like the Boland, Cummins, Hazelwood, Stark, Seam attack and, and done it yet. But as people will listen to this, I've said 3-0 to Australia. I just think they're, they've just won the test championship against an India team and made them look very, very silly. But you could say India didn't play like basketball. So it depends on how the basketball goes, because if you start hitting people off lengths and hit Stark and Cummins and Boland off their lengths, what have they got a plan B? It doesn't seem, I don't feel like Australia have had to go to a plan B yet. So it depends on how the basketball stuff goes, which I hope it goes well, because obviously I don't like saying that we're going to lose because I'd love us to win. But like I say, that first test match is key to how the summer goes, I think. No, I think that's a fair assessment, to be completely honest, because if Australia do take that, all of a sudden there's questions, aren't there? There's doubts. Yeah. And that is something which England need to eliminate right from the get-go. And to be honest, with Basball, it is very high risk, high reward. We could see some incredible cricket over the course of the summer. That's what's good, though. The, The brand of cricket that England are currently playing is getting people interested in test cricket again, which is good. It's nice to see. And... You'd probably, I enjoy playing red ball cricket. It's, I enjoy the, the mental side of it. And it's having, changing, it's how I change my game as well. Cause I'm a dasher or a slogger in inverted commas sort of thing. But it's taking that into a longer format where it's more not about just who comes off on the day. It's like a longer format. You're mentally tired as well and all of this. And it's, I'm going to enjoy watching it. I'm, back to the basketball stuff. I've heard all the commentators saying about the Indian batters. And we say about club cricket all the time, like if you're getting rolled or you're in a tight position, why don't people trust try and, and whack it? Like like a couple of the Stas lads at the weekend played in a game of 84 all out versus 81 all out. Why not at 70 for eight is, or 30 for five, someone not going in going, if I'm hanging around here, I'm going to get out. There's a ball with my name on it. Why are we not trying to tee off? And someone gets then a match-winning 30-40 and the score's gone up to 120 instead of 80. And with 84 on the board, it's like, are we actually going to Are we going to win here? Whereas they actually happen too. They bowled them out for 81. But say an 84 to a 120 because someone's tried to whack a few, it changes a game. And like, Australia haven't had someone come out and, like, I'd say Australia have bowled at batters or bowled at teams, whereas they're, we're going to bat against them properly. I know that's, in my head, it makes sense, but we're going to come out on the front foot against them, whereas I feel like people at the minute against that Australian attack, especially the Indians, were tentative and, like, pushy and just let them bowl at them sort of thing instead of taking the attack to them, which is what I hope our boys do and do it well but it'd be interesting to see if it fails if we then revert back to type and go back in a shell or do we still go ball to the horn for five tests and I think that's what I'd like to see I'd like to say they stick by their guns of what they're saying and it doesn't matter if we're 80 for five in a test match someone's still going to go and take it to them and go yeah we're we've we're still going to put a score on the board and we're not going out down without a fight sort of thing. 
Well, I think it's a very interesting thing to bring up because it is. It's interesting to see how teams have played Australia. In particular, I think back to England's in the away ashes. You mentioned about being yeah. tentative. That was so true, wasn't it? Just hard hands at the ball, not really looking to attack and be proactive. And I think back to one knock in recent memory against Australia by Rishabh Pant at the Gabba, which allowed India to win that Border Kavaska mm. Trophy series, where he put them on the back foot. He went on the attack. He started being proactive. He started just smashing fours and sixes. And obviously, that's a lot easier said than done against the likes of Pat yeah, Cummins and obviously. Scott Bolland and, and Mitchell Stark, who are all world-class operators. But I, I do agree, England cannot be tentative. England have got to go on the front foot. Controlled aggression, isn't it? It's that wonderful yeah. term. Obviously, people have different definitions of it. And at times, it will backfire. But I, I do think basketball is a great way of potentially neutralising the Australian threats Correct. if England do play the situation well. But again, only time will tell. So, Nils, your prediction is 3-0 Australia. Yeah, is that After correct? I've said all of that stuff about England taking it to them and doing well, yeah, I've still... <laughs> yeah, bro, I just... There's currently probably one team that would have a chance of beating Australia and it'd be us. Three nil is probably a bad assessment as well because how we're playing, there will, unless the weather changes drastically and it washes out two three days of cricket, there is likely going to be five results. So three nil probably isn't a great assessment because that says two draws, and you'd like to think that in at least one test match we're going to come off, and then that's then the draw comes in as we've in a set, like, got a winning draw in a way, sort of thing, there, of having to block out. Uh, I'm stumped. It's not going to be 3-0. That was a rush. 3-1? <laughs> uh, I might go, like, 2-2. Two, two. I might change. 3-0 three, three, three to 2-2. Two, two. That's the beauty of conversation, isn't it? And discussion. Like, I've... People discussed it yesterday and I was just straight down the barrel. I was like, yeah, 3-0 Australia, we're going to be rubbish, sort of thing. But you start deep in the stuff and it's like you say about Rishabh Pant and it's like, that's what we do the whole way down now. And with the form and how people are batting at the minute, with no fear and a load of confidence, we're potentially the actually, we're the team that could take Australia down. But then it's like, how do we, it's, we're not then just talking about the batting with and got to talk about how we're going to operate against like a if Stuart Broad doesn't have David Warner in his back pocket for five test matches, like or Marnus and Steve Smith just Steve Smith does what he did four years ago and just has is a freak like he is. Like what how do we then combat that without say a, a genuine how many test matches is Jimmy gonna play or how many test matches is Stuart Broad going to play and how we balance that attack without, say, Jack Leach. I know Moeen Ali's coming in, who then suits Basball as well. It, I feel like, do we have the bowling depth to be able to take 20 wickets against potentially the best 11 in the world on flat decks in England, currently at 28 degrees? Like, do we have... And then that's when... Are they going to take to our 20 wickets because we're trying to swing from the ring? And this is deep, me deep in cricket in the last 10 minutes. 
from 3-0, I'm now like, I've got no idea what's going to happen. And that is the beauty of the Ashes, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, this is that's, the thing, that's, right? That's multi-day cricket. It's not just like, on a day, anyone can beat anyone in 50 overs. Whereas it's a four, five-day thing and it's crazy. It is crazy. And the fact is, if you would have asked me a month ago about the Ashes, I would have said, yeah, I'm interested, but I'm not that interested. Now that we're like, you know, less than a week away, that couldn't have been a bigger lie if, if I tried. I'm, <laughs> I'm so invested in the ashes and I'm doing the exact same thing. I'm overthinking all of these potential scenarios, thinking what happens on day one at Edgepass and if we score 300 or we get bowled out for 60, how are we going to play Scott Bolland? How are Australia going to bowl to Ben Stokes? And it's all of these different scenarios and situations just playing out, all of which are massively theoretical, right? And obviously yeah. only time will tell as to how these things actually play out because it's completely outside of our control but that is the beauty of the ashes all of a sudden the nation just gets gripped by cricket fever and i'll tell you what this series this summer it's going to be unforgettable no matter what happens even if the australian thing is going to happen something is something, something crazy something crazy is going to happen exactly we say that we say that now and it'll be absolutely rubbish yeah, it won't be. <laughs> <laughs> it won't be. It will be. It'll be great, entertaining cricket, no matter what happens. And yeah, let's just hope England get the win. My my only is the how are we taking twenty wickets. Josh Tung, yes, our secret weapon get from in. the West Midlands as well, another Midlander. But yeah, it's going to be an absolutely fantastic series. And actually, Nils, just talking about those players, the likes of Josh Tung who plays for Worcestershire, Chris Wokes who plays for Warwickshire. Ben Stokes, who plays for Durham. What a beautiful way to lead in to our discussion about county cricket, because for the first 20 minutes or so of the podcast, we discussed pretty much everything about international cricket, so England and the Ashes, but we are, of course, the county cricket podcast, and that is yeah. our speciality here at TCCP. So I've got to ask, what were your first ever memories of the county circuits, either playing or watching the, the county game? Uh, the cat, it'd be um, Derbyshire really like player from first team cricket at Rolston when I was like 14, 15, and you come against some of the, like, the Derbyshire players, and then you just when you play cricket, you're a cricket nuffy. It's a fact, you don't play cricket and not look at live NV play, especially if you've played like academy cricket and age group cricket and stuff like that. I spend half my time on NV play, just looking at videos all the time. and. So doing that, it's good now watching people who I've grown up playing age group cricket against, like James Wharton on Thursday scoring 100, and George Balderson and all of those boys. And then people on the academy at Derby with me, like Sam Connors was a great mate of mine. And then he took, I know he's injured at the minute, but taking 50 poles last year and stuff like that. And it's good to see people that I know and have connections with doing well at, in the in the professional game whereas when I was a kid I was like oh imagine being them and knowing them and all of these things whereas now my mates are doing it sort of thing at Derby and I spoke to Dan Mousley the other day when we were at um, Barn Green and he's tearing it up now and it's just nice that people that everyone's still human and can still have a conversation whereas when I was younger I was like these people are untouchable like they're professional cricketers sort of thing whereas now they're actually they are people and it's nice to see 
people I know and I've spoken to do well. It really is. And I think that's a wonderful mentality to have, actually, being able to enjoy other people's success. And you mentioned those three names, James Wharton. That ton against Worcestershire was magnificent. The way in which he brought it up as well with a scoop shot. That was audacious, to say the least. Yeah. Sam Connors, great bowler, has now gone on to get England Lions selection, hasn't he, as well? Yeah. So he's someone to watch out for if you're a fan of Derbyshire County Cricket Club. And obviously Mighty Mouse, Dan Mosley from my county of Warwickshire. What a cricketer he is. Scored 87 against Notch yesterday at Trent Bridge. Probably should have scored a ton, if I'm being completely honest. Threw away his wickets, and I know he was absolutely gutted with himself. But again, former England under-19. Excellent cricketer. Lovely bloke off the field. And I think that's an important thing, actually, to pick up on, is the fact that so many professional cricketers are just normal blokes. You know, it's not like football, This is what is I mean. They're just, they're just like normal blokes being... I played ECB Super Fours with Dan. We don't talk that much, but we can always have a joke and a banner because I'm a Birmingham City fan and he's a Villa fan, so stuff like that. And then, like I say, Sam Connors, great bloke, played golf with him and was on the academy with him. And it's tough seeing him and being injured and stuff like that, but I'm sure he'll be back and taking polls in no time. Well, he certainly will. Honestly, I've got a lot of time for Sam Connors. Ridiculously good young bowler from Nottingham originally, now plays for Derbyshire, but... Yeah, great, great bloke. And it is just funny because, again, I've got no involvement in cricket. I'm an awful cricketer. My career best is 11. So I wasn't exactly ever going to make it in the professional county circuit. But again, everyone's just so normal. And it's like, I, I can't yeah. imagine having a conversation with, you know, like, I don't know, a Premier League footballer, Kevin De Bruyne or, or Erling Haaland about like how their family's doing. And yet the cricket, you just do that. I, I just can't. Yeah. I can't but it'd be interesting if... It'd be interesting to see if they actually are normal blokes because I've probably they probably are they probably are normal blokes, but like we have the mentality that they're because there's so much more press and publicity about football. You think like how I did when I was fourteen about Tom Poynton or whatever, but like they're untouchable and like why would they want to talk to me and stuff like that? But you look at they probably do. They're probably just normal normal blokes. They might be. A, a bit arrogant and flashy and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, still go to sleep every night, don't they? And wake up in the morning. So Exactly. And again, I think that's how people should probably look at most cricketers, to be honest. Again, if, if you do want to have a chat with them, just go over to them. I mean, as I said... Blo- we're normal blokes. Yeah. That's the thing that I found. I mean, for goodness sake, I used to be really shy. I wasn't an exactly confident person. As soon as I got into cricket and everyone's really normal, it's brilliant. And, you know, just having chats about all sorts of random stuff, whether it's on the boundary yeah. or, you know, just here on the podcast. It's <laughs> it's quite funny what you hear in the county circuit. Yeah, um, it's not as daunting as people think. Just Just picking up on that, though, right? Just picking up on the, I don't know, the element of being starstruck, because you mentioned Tom Points in there. And when you are young, I think it's completely natural, isn't it, to be starstruck? Right, I've had it yeah. plenty of times. In particular, as a Warwickshire fan, for me, it was always Ian Bell. But have you ever had an instance or a situation where you have been properly starstruck by someone in the game of cricket? Uh, not to memory, but I remember um, the reason why I mentioned Tom Point is because he was at Lullington. He, co- he was one of the first cricket coaches that I had. His dad got me and my brother into cricket. He's passed away. and. I'll forever be grateful for Keith, but 
and now Tom is at Swarkston with me and we have we talk and it's great fun and he's gone from a bloke who once again I would be like oh my god that's Tom Poynton to now oh that's Tom it's TP from Swarky and starstruck moments I remember when I was on the staff at Derby and Ben McDermott's just in Morrison's and I'm in Morrison's and Finn Hudson Prentice is like, oh, this is Ben, Ben, this is Nils. And I'm like, that's Ben McDermott. And Finn Hudson Prentice is just going, yeah, this is Nils. Ben, Nils, shake his hand. And it's like, what am I doing? Like, I'm 19 years old in Morrison's in Derby getting introduced to Ben McDermott. It's, it's, it's why cricket's so good. There's, I'd wish there was more publicity about the county game as much as there is about the Premier League and stuff, but we can just go about our, like a daily normal thing. Like you could walk into a a shopping centre and spot a Premier League footballer and people would be all over him like, oh, that's Kevin De Bruyne or that's Yuri Tielemans or something. And then you go into a shopping centre and see a cricketer, people probably don't have an idea who they are, which is bad in a way because it means that cricket's not, in the public eye as well as it should do as as well as it should be in my opinion but that's because i love cricket but i still look at people and if i see someone in a shopping center that's played cricket i'll still go to my girlfriend sky and be like oh that's so and so and she's like i don't know i know that is again i suppose that is nice for cricketers though isn't it instead of having that's what all i mean that. it's nice the publicity and stuff it probably is nice but still there should people should still know more about the county game than they do Hundred percent, and that is why you know I create a platform like this. It's to give county cricket a bit more coverage because there's so many great stories as well, and it's not just the big names. It's the it's the it's the guys on the academies, right? It's the guys who have trialed at nine or ten different counties before getting their shots. It's the guys like Jay yeah. Lintot who had to wait until twenty eight years of age to really get a proper going county cricket. And again, that is why people at grounds. That's why people in the press, in the media, do need to give it proper coverage because. I, I do think that we can elevate the coverage of county cricket in this country, maybe not to the same extent as the Premier League, right? I'm not no, yeah, yeah. suggesting that, but I do think it can definitely become more mainstream in this country, 100%. Definitely. And and talking of Derbyshire, what a lovely segue that is into our next point of conversation, Nils, because Derbyshire, obviously a county which is immensely close to your hearts. It is your boyhood county. It's the county which you played for yeah. in county cricket proper. So first 11 crickets. I've got to ask, what were your first ever memories of Derbyshire then, in terms of a playing sense? How did that opportunity first materialise in the first place? Uh, so I started playing for Derbyshire nines, but for the under 10s. So you career starts at age groups at under 10s, and I played for the year above in under nines. And my first memory is um, Repton Festival that year. I got 98 against hunting Huntingdon Shell and was called nearly Nils for the next four years until I got my first 100 at Cambridge. So it was 98 when I was nine and just once, I don't remember it really, but being nine years old and scoring, ne- nearly scoring 100 would have been crazy, but I don't, probably don't wouldn't have known what to do. And I don't remember really being a bit like downhearted about it because you don't really go at nine years old and you don't have the opportunity to go and score hundreds. So you don't actually know what one is in a way. And then just going up through the age groups to 
tens, elevens, twelves, thirteens, making my first hundred at the Taunton Festival, getting hundred and six night out against Cambridgeshire, and then the year after, I did something special in inverted commas in the Taunton Festival. One day got rained off. On the other four days, I got one hundred and forty six against Devon. 103 against Shropshire, 30 against Wales, and then 150 not out against Middlesex. And I don't, I'm not sure how many, at the time, I think only, oh, I can't remember who, what his name is. He played for Glam. Craig Mashada, I think, were, had scored four in the week, and I'd scored three. I think he was one of the only people to have done more. After that, it was then. 15s sign on the like mini academy stuff here and there sign for the academy at under 16s first but having to sign my academy contract in crutches having broken my ankle the sunday before playing football for them malloy to tell me i'm not allowed to play football ever again because you'll keep doing that so walk going up the stairs in the pavilion at derby on my backside backwards because I was in a cast signing that and then academy stuff to then um academy at 18 or finishing sixth form at 18 going to union and signing at, in the October of my first year after being announced at the, in the then MCCU now UCC squad at Loughborough and then neon up to date that's uh, that was my Derbyshire journey up to signing basically well to be honest you made my job very easy there actually because you've you've pretty much detailed Just the entire the entire real journey. Straight. Yeah. yeah but again great recall in particular that one of the the Taunton festival but I suppose that must have been a ridiculous memorable few days then if you scored three centuries yeah, that was it was I uh, then got yeah it was at the presentation evening I was named like the junior player of the year and then i got like a little plate that has the three scores on it and stuff like that that's how i remember it really and i've still got in my room at the minute i've still got i've got a few bats that i've kept one of them's a newbury grizzly which is the bat i got 98 with size five newbury grizzly that i got my 98 with i've then got the bat that i got my first hundred with and then i have got the bat that i got those 300s in a week in my room. Fair play. Cricket badger then. I am, but if anyone asks, I say no. They hate it. You should come to embrace it, to be honest, Nils. I <laughs> have now. I've just become that saddo with the stats on the bear stream. I'm, that's, <laughs> I'm just living that life now, to be completely honest. You're a cricket badger? Yeah. Forget being yeah. a badger. I'm the entire set with all the <laughs> stats and all the random knowledge that you pick up over the years. But you mentioned there about signing the contract for Derbyshire. How momentous of an occasion was that for you, given the fact that you'd been involved with this club since under nine levels, you'd gone up through the academy, all of those age group systems, right? And then it comes to that moment of signing your first professional contracts with Derbyshire County Cricket Club. What were the emotions on that day, given all the sacrifice, given all the hard work, <coughs> given all of the, the memorable knocks and all of those memorable occasions over the years? What was that like, putting pen to paper, and officially becoming a player for Derbyshire County Cricket Club? It was obviously a dream come true. I remember the phone call. Dave Houghton rang me. It was after we trained on a Wednesday night at Loughborough, which is when we train. And he phoned me and was like, 
congratulations of, on being put in the Loughborough MCU squad. We're gonna offer you a rookie contract at Derbyshire, and I remember, I remember, I think I was, I don't remember what I said or how I reacted. Probably saying, "Really," or something along those lines. Probably, and then I remember putting the phone down. First person I called was my girlfriend to let her know, and then I phoned my mum and dad and let them know. And it was emotional. I'm not sure I cried. I'm not really a cry person, but it was definitely an emotional thing to sign at Derby, being at Derby from nine years old. I just wish it probably lasted a bit longer, but you win some and you lose some. And I don't hold grudges. It is what it is. Well, it is. That's professional sport, isn't it? And the beauty of cricket, and in particular, given the, the cricket structure here in the UK, you've always got a second chance. That is the beautiful thing about second eleven cricket and the national counties. Yeah. It allows cricketers who may not have had that initial foray into county cricket for a number of years, it gives them the extra opportunity, doesn't it? And all you need is a few yeah. big scores, whether that is for a second eleven or for a national counties team or for the UCCA, which again is I was a about to say Loughborough scheme, is a huge Loughborough is well, the UCC schemes are great. It's for cricketers from 18 to what am i 22 there's been 20 there's a lad who's turning 23 and as leaving with me this year who's ramon bailey who's just started playing for north hands twos this year and his left arm seamer doing really well in the t20 stuff he's 23 was not in middlesex he was from down in london don't think he played age groups for middlesex or in the academy and stuff like that it's come to loughborough and come on leaps and bounds in the four years that he's been here and now, after bowling North Ants in the winter at Loughborough, he's been playing second team cricket all year. And you look at the, I look at the Cardiff UCCE boys. There's Will Smale, who scored a second team hundred, who's trialled at Derby with me when I was at Derby. He's scoring second team hundreds in the T20 stuff at Glam. He scored ninety six at Gloucester, I think, as well. You go up north and you look at the Durham lads. There's, um. Durantler or something who scored a hundred against us in the UCT game. He's come down, I think, and played. He's played for Saka and he's he was at Essex and stuff like that. It just gives people that potentially, I can say it now myself that probably I don't think I was ready to be a professional cricketer at eighteen to twenty years old. I was a child. I was a bit naive and thought that I was a lot better than I was, and then. I get released and I've still got the Loughborough and the that standard of cricket is still there for me to play. And I've come on as a cricketer so much in the two years after I've been released because I'm a little bit older. I'm a bit mature, a bit more mature. I know my game a bit more and I know what works for me because I'm older than I was when I was 18. And that's why the UCC schemes are great because it gives people who miss out on that chance at 18 19 to get a rookie contract straight away it gives them a chance to not be forgotten sort of thing there's a lad at loughborough at the minute tom henley good mate of mine sussex who's he was at sussex got released same as me he's and now he's he's trialed at kent and he's trialed at derby this week and i hate facing him i can't pick him in the winter it's like if he doesn't come to loughborough and 
gets released from Sussex, he probably might have got a trial somewhere else. But being at Loughborough helped him because he got to bowl at Derby in the winter and he's in the centre. I'm blowing Loughborough because we're at the centre of everything and we have a great indoor facility and stuff like that. But it lets people that have potentially been released a little bit too early or haven't been found yet, it gives them a platform to go in front of counties in the winter and go, I'm still here and I'm still wanting to be a professional cricketer. And it's great because it's it's what I've done this year. I took a year off last year and just wanted to enjoy my cricket again. Whereas this year, I trained hard. I broke my wrist in December, uni night out, gone wrong. And then um, wintered after Christmas, after January, got back and wintered, well, wintered early spring and stuff like that and did well against the, I was in the Red Bull squads for our UCT games that got rained off because of the weather was awful in um March, which is silly playing in March. But then I did well against North Ants twos. I got I got fifty against North Ants twos. I got fifty against Knots twos in the Red Bull stuff. I took that form into the books games where I got 122 against Exeter for books. And then you start playing for staffs and your form just keeps going. And then as much as goes back to the NV play and people being cricket badgers even though they say they're not people will be seeing the scores that you get and what you're doing for your uni teams and your East, the NCTA stuff. And even your club cricket, people check, everyone checks. It's fact. And if you do well, you get spoken about, and then you do get the opportunities, which I'm happy to say that people that, that I know at Loughborough and are getting them now. As they should as well. And as I said, yeah, that is exactly. the beauty isn't they it, should. of that English cricketing structure. It's the fact that nowadays there's so many different pathways that can get you into county cricket. So obviously you can have the initial academy and age group cricket. That's the ideal one, isn't it? You don't even have to move. You can just go up and progress through the system. But for 90% of county cricketers, that isn't going to work. If things don't go right at that level, you've got to have backups. And with the National that's County, why, with the UCCE, it's, it's yeah. good to have, isn't it? Well, that's why potentially was my downfall in, in a way that I had the perfect way in i was from under nines up to under 18s academy got a contract and it was easy i say i was it was obviously i tried and i had to try and i had to do well but it was like it was just always there it was all like i didn't i had to work for it obviously but it was always there and it potentially was always going to happen that way but people don't have not everyone has that opportunity like my mate ramon and then as you say the ncca the UCCE schemes and the second 11 cricket, it helps people express themselves to the counties that haven't seen them or don't potentially don't know them. It does. It's all about putting yourself in that proverbial shop window, isn't it? It's about putting yeah. your name out there and allowing counties to, to just go, hang on a minute, let's take more notice about this guy because he's got yeah. XYZ number of runs in whichever league or whichever tournaments. And yeah, even now, I mean, we've got setups like the, the ACE programme and the South Asian Cricket Academy yeah. as well. Like, There's so many different pathways, and it's great to have. It really is fantastic to have, as we'll discuss with the National Counties in due course, because, yeah, Nils, you've had quite the 2023 for a certain National County team by the name of, of Staffordshire, as we shall discuss. But just going back to Derbyshire, because Derbyshire, obviously, one of the 18 first-class counties. You mentioned there about how proud of a moment that was to, to represent your boyhood club. What would you say was your proudest moments from your time 
at Derbyshire County Cricket Club. If you could relive one day, one moment, one performance, what do you say was the real standout from your time As with the East Midlands When Council? I was a pro. Um, obviously making the List Day debut at Leicestershire. I've got, I think I've got nine night out or something, but obviously that's proud, making your professional debut from your, for your home county. A proud moment of mine, or my proudest moment, I only played four games, I've had three times, was potentially the, but I think it was a 26 night out against North Ants when I just remember Wayne Parnell bowling at me and I'm like, just a little lad from SWAT, born in Sutton Coalfield for the West Counties, the West Mids, and then, but South Derbyshire and through, and there's a South African international just trying to hit me in the head. Like, and that's when, like I said earlier about deep in cricket a bit, there's a bloke who's played for South Africa in T20 World Cups and World Cups bowling at me, a 20-year-old. Tw- oh, no, was I 20? I'd have been 20. I was 19 at the time. He's bowling at me, at, and I'm like, he has no idea who I am. But to me, this that's Wayne Parnell. And that's when, you like, I was like, I've done well. Like, I can go back and I can be proud of... And I still want to play more professional cricket, but at the end of the day, I've played four games and I can still be proud of the fact that I've played four games of professional cricket. And I've looked back and obviously I'm a bit frustrated of how stuff ended at Derby and stuff like that, but I played four games for the county of where I was born and I can be proud of that sort of thing. Well, it's it's four more games than I'll ever play for Warwickshire. So there you go, you got that right off the bat, but... Obviously, it's a tremendous honour, isn't it? It's a privilege. It's an incredible yeah. achievement to, to represent one of the 18 first-class counties. And in particular, a team like Derbyshire, which have got so much history, right? They've been a first-class county since 1870, right? They're, they're one of the older clubs in the country. Not quite Sussex, who were founded in 1839, but one of the oldest Midlands clubs by, by a country mile as well. And you think they've won the county championship in 1936. They've had one-day success in the past. Right, it's an immense privilege to represent a county like that. So you should be proud, to be honest, mate. You really should be. And obviously, you're still early in your career, right? And maybe the first didn't didn't work out, but that is the beauty of cricket. You've always got a second opportunity. The door is always ajar in this wonderful game. And just talking of the the end of that first didn't then, because you mentioned it was a rookie contract, so it was just for the summer of 2021. This might be quite a profound question, actually, but before we get on to the chat about Staffordshire, using the power of hindsight, and hindsight is a wonderful thing, would you have done anything differently from your time with the East Midlands County of Derbyshire? In hindsight, I would, but I feel like the way I did things have made me who I am today in the way, like the sense, like I say, I was really, I was probably too naive going in at 18. I'll say it openly to most people that I don't think I was good enough at 18 years old to be a professional cricketer. But 18-year-old me probably thought that I was, yeah, I'm ready, I can do this and stuff like that. But I should have and could have put a lot more, like I was still putting the work in that I did when I was in the academy for those two years sort of thing. And you actually need to put in so much work to be able to, with to, play in that first class the first 11 cricket it's a big step up from obviously it's a big step up from the academy but mentally as well I was like probably wasn't 
like I was naive. I was really naive, naive, but I wouldn't change that because that's how I've learned. Like I've learned from not being a bit or being 18, 19, 20 when I signed or 19 and 20 signing and being thinking that I was ready and now this is just going to be me now forever. And then having it taken away was a kick in the arse. And it was a kick in the arse, which is, and then it's made me think like I probably tried too hard to be someone that I wasn't while I was a pro. Like I was trying to play cricket, not how I'd got there. Like I got to be a pro by being an aggressive batter that was trying to do this and that. And then I was trying to play cricket potentially in hindsight, how I thought the coaches at Derby wanted me to play. And now having taken a year away from the second team stuff and playing this year, how I've, how, how it got me there, like how I got to be a professional cricketer, which was being aggressive and not thinking. Whereas I've potentially thought too much about performances while I was there. Like, the coaches want me to get 30 or want me to get 50 in 100 balls here because that's what I think they want to do. But potentially that's not the best way for me to get 50 or a big score. Well, it isn't. And it is an easy trap to get drawn into, isn't it? It's the fact that yeah. you've done all of these things over those years which have led you to being successful in county crickets. All of a sudden, in the first eleven. And obviously, I'm just speaking theoretically because I've not lived it. But you can imagine the pressure is ramped up a thousand times because for the entirety of your life as a cricketer, you've been building up to this moment. And all of a sudden, you never want to let that go, do you? So all no. of the pressure, you've got the weight of expectations. You want to impress yourself, the coaches, the fans, your family. You've got all these different expectations just hovering around you. And then when that opportunity doesn't materialize in the way in which you hoped it would, you start to change things, don't you? And it's one of the cardinal yeah. sins in cricket. It's the fact when you see cricketers who for so many years have done something which has led them to being the cricketer they are that we see today, all of a sudden they have a bad run of form, they change everything, and all of a sudden they're not the cricketer that they used to be. And they're back yeah. at square one. And they're constantly fighting, they're fighting and fighting. And it's a really bad thing to get into. And not only that, it's very difficult to get out of. We see this with so many professional cricketers. They lose their way. They lose their identity of what made them successful. And then they are lost to the county circuit. Such is the, the competitive nature of academy cricket, second 11 cricket, national counties cricket. You are replaceable in professional yeah. sport. It's a horrible sport, thing to think that's about. Sport, but but that's, what, that's why people love sport, though. It's, it's being the best and this and that. And this is why I say I was probably naive at, 1920 when I was making the playing in those games I probably played the players who I was playing in those list A games for three or four years in the second team but then you play them in a, a list A game in a, a Derbyshire first team game and the pressure on a 19, 20 year old I probably wasn't ready for it mentally I wasn't, I was naive to it and I was then panicky and for, as as you say, you forget, not forget, but try and do things differently to how you were doing. And then you you doubt yourself, like I was like, am I good enough for this stuff? And I probably was. I was, probably was technically good enough. I probably was technically good enough because Derby believed in me and what. But mentally, 
I don't think I was good enough sort of thing. Whereas now stripping back and going back to it, I can now look at him, admit to myself that potentially it wasn't a technical thing that got me released. It probably was. I got a lot of 30s. I was a pretty 30 and then throw it away kind of player. But technically I'm good enough and I know I'm good enough and I back myself to be good enough. It's just like cricket is such a mental game that you need to work on that side of the game as well as the technical game because anyone can hit 100. But it's how many times someone hits 100 that then it's consistency. It's the consistency sort of thing. Like anyone can get can hit 100. Anyone can hit 100 in 40 games. But the people that separate themselves are the people that do it consistently. And those people are the people that have a will to win and a will to be the best and are mentally the strongest is what I've learned anyway. Or that's my opinion on it. Well, no, I think it's a fair opinion to have. And it is that age-old cliche, isn't it, about cricket being 90% mental, 10% physical, because obviously you need a strong foundation. You do need a strong technical base from which to build your game off of, but it's the constant battle up in your mind. It's the battle that you have to win in a game like cricket. It's a lot easier said than done, and this is the problem. When you're so invested in the game, you do overthink things. Look at us two discussing the ashes and all of a sudden yeah. our predictions have all gone differently just like that. It's human nature, isn't it? And the yeah. fact is when you allow that doubt, you allow that lack of self-belief to creep into your game, you're not going to succeed. And again, it's very, very easy for, for people like myself to you know discuss that from a couch or a living room yeah. or online. It's a lot harder to do it out there with the weight of expectation, with the pressure, with all of those hopes and dreams and everything that you've manifested, it's very, very difficult. And that is the beauty of the game at times. And that is why when we see players take a fifer, get a hat trick, score a century, whatever it is, you do just have so much profound respect for them because it's a tremendously hard thing to do. And And that's why people get so emotional with it as well. Like people put in so much like time and effort to do it. And there's the self-doubt that people would probably be having and, to then do the thing that you're supposed to do week in, week out, or do the thing that the people behind on Twitter that I see all the time, like they expect people to get 150 every week. It's not, it's professional sport We're everyone's human. People aren't robots and you don't need people going and spraying you on Twitter and all of this. Cause the person that's the most disappointed in getting out for four or getting out for 10 or, for 30 in my case is me or them like especially when you know you can do it and you, everyone's got the ability to do it in the county setup nor like everyone can do it but it's as you say the 90 percent mental 10 percent physical thing like cricket's one in the mind in my opinion and you get better by being mentally more consistent and mentally stronger than the other person or not that doesn't how that's not how you win cricket games in terms of team but that's how you win as an individual yeah individual battles isn't it you see it all the time for example let's say you have a really good record against a bowler that bowler all of a sudden the doubt creeps in doesn't it 
and yeah. you can maybe hit them for a few extra fours or sixes. It's an incredible game, isn't it, cricket? And obviously, it's it's very difficult at times when you do have those lean patches. But when you are in a purple patch and things are going your way, you, you just feel invincible. And you've got to take advantage of them. You've got to you take advantage do. of them. You really do, because it's a cruel game and there's a lot yeah, of things in cricket in particular. As a batter and as a bowler, right, for different reasons, there's a lot of things which are out of your control. And the fact is, something you've got to come to terms with, you might get a good delivery, someone might play a good shot. All you have to do is think about the next ball. That's exactly. all that you can do, control the controller balls. But again, it is just a fascinating game. There's so much to cricket. Right, that we can discuss and dissect and analyse. And I just don't think there's another game like this, to be completely honest. You can try with football with expected goals no, yeah. and tactics, but I don't think anything quite compares to cricket. And, and Nils, we've got to talk about one particular purple patch, which you've actually experienced this season. So aside from Derbyshire, aside from Loughborough, aside from second eleven cricket, let's focus now on the national counties because the national counties are wonderful, I think, in the greater English cricketing structure, right? I think they're so useful. And you've been playing for Staffordshire. And <laughs> we have to talk about one particular day, which took place at Tring. And let's just say that was a tremendously special day for both yourself and for Staffordshire County Cricket Club. So let's talk about 2023 NCCA T20 Trophy Finals Day. An immense occasion, a proud one for Staffordshire County Cricket Club. What can you tell us about that quite simply ludicrous 147, which included 12 fours, 10 sixes, came from just 66 deliveries? What can you tell us about that most incredible knock down in Tring? Um, not a lot, really. I've said it as I say it, I've said it to quite a few people. I actually don't remember a lot of it, which is, well, you know, we were just talking about the game is in your head and stuff like that. My best game is when I'm not thinking, which is what I'm learning now. It's when, like, I'm just, if I think too much, that's when the doubt comes in. Whereas, obviously, it helps when you're hitting the ball as cleanly as I was that day. But by not thinking, that's when I do my best and... Before the T20 finals day, when I did that with Andy Carr, the coach, and kept James Kettlebrough, the skipper, would we'd discuss like what my role was going to be in a T20 team, and they'd ask, and I was like, I'd really fancy opening the batting, and they and then they were like, what? How are you going to play? And I was like, I'm just going to try and hit as many runs as fast as I can, and I did it. Uh, we played a 12 over game at Northumberland. And I got 97 off of 39 balls and got caught at deep square trying to hit six. And then I did, uh, we played a game at Leak in a T10 and I got, I think it was like 52 or uh, 58 off 20 balls or something. I got like 50 off 17. And then, so it was, it was happening like I was in a purple patch long before in the T20 before the finals day. And then we got to finals day and we've spoke before we came on. And I remember getting to the ground and thinking boundaries look a bit big today. And clearly I was, I was wrong in a, in a way. And it helped that we weren't sure what we wanted to do at the toss. Kets came and spoke to like asked me and Andy about like, what do you think? And I'm, I've lost 
runs on the board in a semi-final and a final in a amateur competition in a way. Obviously, it's, there's, there's pros about it and stuff like that, but runs on a board in a final is so key. And we thought it was flat, but so we didn't know whether we wanted to bat or bowl first. Kets wanted to bowl, and then me and Andy and myself were like, um, why don't we bat? We'd bat it first in every game, but we still haven't bowled first in a whole NCCA game this year. We've batted in every single one, I think. I don't think we've bowled first in one. So clearly we're a bat first team. But then, um, so we batted first and then I can't even remember what the, how the first over went. This is what I mean. Like, I can't remember it. I think we were, me and Zen, who is very, I was, people just keep telling me, just keep doing what you do when we get into the middle and you fist bump. I go into people say, like, I go into like a mode, like a mode of just, like cloudy eyes and I'm just like a term terminator in inverted commas. Like I'm just like glossed over and it's like, I'm not thinking because I don't, and I think we were something crazy, like a hundred, we were 110 for non off six overs or something. I think, I think it, we were definitely over a hundred. I think we we're over a hundred and six overs. That is insane. I think I, I think I got to my 50 inside the power play as well. They had a leggy that came, came on. And I say, Bless him. I'm not trying to condescend him at all, but I, I think I think the first ball was a dot, and then I think I went six four four six six. I think it was twenty eight. I think I hit him with a dot. You start like you get the feelings like, oh, this could be my day, sort of thing. And it was the first. It's the first game of the year that my mum and my dad have watched me play, and my brother was there as well. And then my good friend at. Swarky Tommy Sturgis was on the sideline as well, and it's like the stars align, and you get you don't get days like I had a lot ever, if ever, and I happened just to cash in on on whatever I decided to do on that day. I cashed in, and without I hate saying it, I did something special. I hate I hate doing it. I hate saying stuff like that, but. It was special and people have said it and looking back, it was. It's just a shame that I genuinely have no idea what was going on. When you are in that zone, you don't think about what's going on. You're just batting off of pure instinct at that point. And I know you don't want to describe it as something special, but for Staffordshire, it is. It's a momentous occasion in the club's history. It was our first finals day, wasn't it? It was our our first finals day against the favourites in Berkshire they were the favourites going in like we don't want Berkshire but someone had to play them and we played them and my brother plays down in um, Reading Wargrave so he plays with a couple of the Berkshire lads and they've done like some packs not like packs not like analysis packs but they said like where to bowl at me and where my strong points were and stuff like that but I don't know if they tried to do that or still tried to like did that but it's something just clicked and like I said I don't think I'll do anything like that ever again but I was so I say about the 97 at Northumberland I got to 99 and I was with Ketz wasn't I Ketz was batting the captain and I remember I went I think it was two fours and a two and I was on 99 and he came in and was like do not try and hit this ball for four or six 
So I was, and I was like, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not doing, it. I'm not. That's the first thing I remember. That's the first thing I can remember from the whole thing was me being on 99 and actually taking a breath and actually thinking, right, just get, just get one, just get a one here, Nils, and get a hundred. So and then I did, and then after that, I don't remember a lot again. Well, I'll fill in the, the gaps for those who aren't aware of this performance by Staffs. 252 for two. It's a it's an NCCA finals day record total to bring that out in the semi-final against a very strong Berkshire team with the likes of Ewan Woods and they've got Dan Lincoln. I was there for his T20 debut in 2019 for, for Middlesex. He played instead yeah. of Baby de Villiers down in Cheltenham, but they are a very, very strong team. And 147 from 66 deliveries, 12 fours, 10 sixes. Also got one for 36 in Barsha's innings, taking the wicket of Josh Lincoln. So the semi-final was special. But Nils, we also have to talk about the, the final because as I alluded to beforehand, Staffs had never won the T20 competition. They hadn't even been to a finals day before this. And when you look at 119 all outs, of which you scored 57, I've got to ask at that point, did anybody think that you could win on that fateful day, halfway through, I I got out for fifty-seven, and Ketz and I were just sat in the changing room. We didn't speak. I was fuming because I had a I had a job to do that in that innings. I'd done it in, in a sense to get fifty-seven, but I think I was out in the thirteenth over or something. I can't remember what over, but there was six overs to bat, and I I my job role then was not to Hilly when I was there Michael Hilly bats four came out and was like I know what you want to do because obviously of what I'd done in the semi-final but he was like you need to do something different for the team here which I did I didn't I've I mean I still I think I was 57 off of 38 or something I don't know but and I did I did something different I was frustrated at myself more because you get to that halfway stage at 119 all out and it's like, if we lose here, obviously my 147 is 147, but we still lost. And I hate losing. So we got out there and was like, pressure's on them. We got You need six and over in a T20 match where three innings, four innings previous, or even they Barks got 190 against us and we got 250. And we're 119 all out. And it's like, oh... What do we do? And then we got Chris Gibson out. I bowled the first over in all of our T20 games. I bowled the first over. And I was like, please, please, please don't go for more than 10 in this first over. I think I went for seven. I think. And then Hertie came on and we got Chris Gibson out, who's another UCC boy who had got 60 for them in their short, small chase against Hertfordshire. And then that's when I start thinking they're going to have a panic on because the bloke who's got them to here is out in the second over. And then I think I got a wicket in the power play. They might have been three down in the power play, I think. And then I was like, oh, yeah, we're in. We can do it. Like, we've, we've got a chance. We've got a chance. And then a young lad came in who I had no idea who he was. He's signed at Gloucester. Joe Phillips, him and Max Trifonos got him to like 83 for five, chasing 
200, uh, not 200, chasing 120 in a T20 match. So you need 37 off of seven overs with five wickets left. And you're like, they've got two set men in. And I really, I was like, we've got no chance. And then we've got a bloke, Pete Wilshaw, who's a legend, big offy, comes in off like two yards, was just like firing through overs. Like he bowled like three overs, one for six in the back end of a T20. And Joe Phillips ran past one and he was stumped for 20, 30 on, I don't know. And then, that's then when I was like, we're on again. And then I came out, I was, don't think I've ever been so aggressively pumped up in my life for a game of cricket than when I got Trifonos out. I put a post on my Instagram of me getting the wicket and I didn't realise I celebrated so hard and my voice went and stuff like that. And then Sammy Atkinson, I think in the same over, I got two wickets and I was like, oh, bowling at number 10, I think. And I'm like, right, I'm just going to bowl my stock ball. He's not going to do anything to me. Get one down the ground. And he's into outed me over extra cover. Heavy shot. And I'm like, oh, no. And then our lad at long off, Sammy Atkinson, who's 18, is at War- on the Warwickshire pathway. Gun fielder. Runs from long off, full strength dart, full length dive, slings it back in, throws it to me, and they run out on the trying to get three. And I went absolutely mental, sprinted down to the long off boundary to celebrate with Sammy. And Hurty, Liam Hurt, just kept coming in at the end of every or at every wicket, going, the calmest team wins the game. The calmest team wins the game. And they needed, uh, what did they need off the last over? Ten? Nine? Nine. I think it was nine. And Tommy, who I played club cricket with, hit a four after me bowling the penultimate over. And we play a lot of cricket together. And Tommy knows that I bowl either really slow or really quick. And he was thinking that I was going to bowl. I've spoken to him since. He thought I was going to bowl really like an arm ball, a quick one, or a really slow one. And I was going to bowl an arm ball. And then I've, in my gather, I've panicked knuckleballed. I've tried to bowl a knuckleball and it's floated and he's hit me for a six. And I'm like, Mills, what on earth have you done? Because the game would have been done if they need 15 off the last over with Hertie bowling at nine and 11. You're expecting something crazy's got to happen for one of them to knock it off or we're getting a wicket, end of. Like, we should have won. And then I got it for a six last ball of the 19th over. And I'm like, what on earth have you done? Tommy then hits a four in the first ball of the 20th over. Or the third ball. And they need, like, five off three. And then it's, like, two dots or something crazy. And they need five off one ball. But the scoreboard says 18 overs on it. So this is where the... Tommy Sturgis debacle comes in. Scoreboard says 18 and they need five. They actually need five off one, which is why if you watch the stream, Tommy blocks the last ball to extra cover, trying to get a one, but doesn't run because he's hit it straight to the fielder. So needing five off one, my teammate at club blocks it to extra cover for us to win the comp. And it was the most... Not that it ruined the debt, like the the moment, but it was just so anticlimactic. It was like, what has just happened? They need five off one, and he's just blocked it. And then everyone's like, 
the scoreboard says 18. The scoreboard says 18. Tommy's fuming. And then we're just like, we've won. We've defended 190. We didn't even take 10 wickets. I was like, the only way we win this game is by taking 10 wickets. We didn't even take 10 wickets. And we defended 119 because my mate from club can't count. What a way for it to end, eh? Goodness me. Yeah, 115 for nine was the final score for, for Cornwall. So, although you didn't bowl them out, still nine wickets is very impressive on that wicket yeah. in Tringans. Yeah, four for 27 for yourself, Nils. I mean, what a day. What an incredible day. And for Staffs as well, a first T20 trophy. And they are a wonderful club. I've got to say, Staffs have been brilliant in terms of the West Midlands clubs, in terms of producing both Warwickshire, Worcestershire, Derbyshire players as well. Yeah. Staffs really have been an excellent feeder club for the first-class county. So oh, I was delighted for them, to be honest when they did lift that trophy and yeah, special day for the club, special day for yourself. And yeah, what a, what a way for it all to end day. Very anticlimactic, yeah, it was, but it was, it was crazy, but I still, I will continuously take the mick out of Tommy Sturgis for not being able to count. Well, you never know in the future, he might be able to win them something, <laughs> yeah. you know? So again, it'll be one of those, but Nils, we are approaching the, the end of the podcast. And I suppose a, a rather apt question, which I haven't asked as of yet, but I feel like I need to ask is, what does the future hold for you in a cricketing sense? Because we've spoken about that 147. You followed it up with a 57 in the final. I know you've also been playing for the Worcestershire seconds in the second 11 competition. So, for example, you scored 51 against the Bears earlier this season. Yeah. So, in a cricketing capacity, what does the future hold for Niels Priestley? Uh, well... I was. We I've played for Worcestershire Seconds. We then played our first NCCA trophy game for staffs at Wales and um I did that. Dropping a ball. Oh. Thought it was broken. So I then so I did that on the Sunday, then went down to Somerset to play for Worcester in a T twenty and I was in agony. I shouldn't have played in a but it really I shouldn't have played. But I tried to bat. I got a three ball duck, but I literally could not hold the bat without being in agony. So I was just like, if I the ball hits me here, I'm going to be in so much pain. So I then went to A&E, got it x-rayed. It wasn't broken, but I've had it um, pinned, like drilled, and then the blood squee- like squee- squozing or squeezed out of it. So, but I like, I'm, I struggle to hold a bat. I've tried to play golf. Wrong decision. First golf swing, hit the ball. And it, it literally exploded. Blood was everywhere and stuff like mm. that. So at the minute, I'm just taping my finger up and hoping that no one hits the ball at me. Currently, I don't think trialing while I'm not 100% is the best idea. So I'm hopefully I, I, when I'm back and I can feel properly, I will get another go at Worcester. I hope they don't just like see me in the two t in the t20s and go oh the t20s done now like he's gone but like perfect timing for something like this to happen isn't it sort of thing but then so hopefully go and trial a bit more with worcester win the league at swarkston this year again first team in the i think the first derbyshire premier league team to go back to back if we do do it i think is the way we're eight wins from eight at the minute touch wood we do it again. Um, then winter, I'm off to Melbourne. So yeah, off to Melbourne to play. I tried play. I've tried doing like the grade cricket stuff, but they say it's hard to do if you don't have 
a contract or a contact out there sort of thing. So I'm going to play VTCA, like the one below grade for St. Albans over the winter, which will be a good life experience and some good cricket, which I'm really looking forward to do for six months. Then after that, nobody knows. Well, we'll have to wait and see what, what life has in store, won't be. But to be yeah. honest, Nils, all I'll just say is that myself and everybody associated with the Cat Cricket Podcast are wishing yourself and Swarkston all the very best of luck heading into the summer of 2023. We've seen what you're capable of. I, I really do hope that counties do take notice because that 147 was very special. But even aside from that, the other performances in second 11 cricket and the national counties I think have definitely put you in good stead for another opportunity in the county circuit. So fingers crossed that opportunity does materialise itself in the near future. But that is essentially it for today's podcast. I've got to say it's been a very interesting podcast. I've just looked at the time. That's absolutely flown by, to say the least. So just before we, we end the recording, Nils, do you have anything to plug or promote? Any social media channels, websites, businesses, anything like no, that? Not really. My Twitter and Instagram are just Nils Priestley or at Nils Priestley or whatever it is and stuff like that. And all I want to say is, do you know, we spoke about earlier how we deep cricket so much and stuff like that. And today it's someone bowling a lever ball to someone with a wooden stick for 50, 20, four days. Like, how crazy is it? It is but crazy. I still love it. And we, we all love it. And it's a great sport and I wouldn't change it for the world. So, Exactly. I, I think that's a lovely way to end, to be honest, Nils. And as I said, it really has been a pleasure. Having you on the podcast today, always welcome back on, maybe for some Ashes chat. Let's see how the, the series goes. Fingers <laughs> crossed England yeah. will win the first Ashes test at Age Baston on Friday the 16th of June. But that is essentially it from us two here at the County Cricket Podcast for today's episode. To each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there, thank you ever so much for tuning in. And as always, guys, we'll see you on the next one.